Thanks for listening to The Awakening Podcast. We hope this message inspires and encourages you today. Today I'm, I'm beginning a series entitled, Am I Okay? Am I Okay? And, and um, I was going to title it, I'm Not Okay. But um, I thought, you know, maybe it's too negative. And I didn't want the picture of me, you know, to say I'm not okay. And everyone's like, is Jordan doing okay? You know? Um, but am I okay? And I think this is a question that many of us are asking. And I think many of you are in the room today simply because you heard the sermon title and you heard the series and what we're going to talk about. And we're going to talk about it today. And, and, and honestly, over the next few weeks, we're going to talk about, about mental health and, and our inner selves. And, and amazingly, I think the Bible has a lot to say about the inner self. It has a lot to say about the eternal self, but it has a lot to say about the inner self, and it has a lot to say about your mind, your heart, and your emotions. And it's ancient, but yet relevant wisdom. And um, I, I really feel like God has shared a story with me that I want to share with you. And today we're just going to, we're going to explore what God has to say to us, for us. And I, I, I believe that, um, that you're going to find freedom and healing through this series. Can you say amen? I'd love for you to turn with me to Luke chapter 10. I'm going to read a famous story, but I think you're going to see it in a brand new light. Luke chapter 10, and um, let's see. Uh, let's, let's start a couple verses down. We're going to start at verse 29. It says, it says this, a man, a lawyer, is actually arguing with Jesus, and he's talking about how does he gain eternal life. And, and Jesus says, you know the law. You need to love God and you need to love people. If you remember just a couple weeks ago talking about the rich young ruler, it's essentially the same exact conversation. And, and so the Bible says um, the man desiring to justify himself, he says to Jesus, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? Okay, I'm supposed to love God and I'm supposed to love my neighbor, but, but who exactly is my neighbor that I'm supposed to be loving and and Jesus replied and said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers, thieves, who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance, a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite which is another religious person, when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. And at this point, all of the people hearing Jesus tell the story say, I know what Jesus is going to say. He's going to say a common man, just a normal Jewish person, just a regular guy. He's going to be the one to help when these religious leaders, priests, didn't. But Jesus, he flips the script as usual, and he says, but a Samaritan. And at this point, the crowd would have been like, there's no way this villain is about to become the hero. Because, see, the Samaritan were the people who were least likely to help this broken Jewish man. A Samaritan, someone they disagreed with theologically. A Samaritan, someone they disagreed with racially. A Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. And here's a key verse. And he, the Samaritan, he went to him. The Samaritan went to the broken person. And he bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. And then he set him on his own animal and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day, 
he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper saying, take care of him. And whatever more you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? And here the man replies, the one who showed mercy. And Jesus said, you go and do likewise. You go and do likewise. See, Jesus, when he would speak, he would speak in parables. And what parables are, are stories with embedded truth within them. And what you need to know about God's word is um, there's a lot of embedded truth in these parables. You know, the Bible even says that the word is living, it's active, and it's sharp. It will begin to cut away the truth from the lie. It'll begin to cut away the truth from the half-truths. The living, active, sharp word begins to divide the things out of your life that should have never been there. And what I think is amazing is every generation is going to face its own struggle, and every generation needs to find truth. And the beauty of the Bible and the beauty of Jesus' word, the beauty of Jesus' parables is he says, go back to these stories, and you're going to find that these stories are still alive. And that the word, though ancient, is as relevant today as it's ever been before. And there's no new struggle that you could encounter that Jesus hasn't already placed the seed of truth within his word. And so today, this word is going to come alive. It's going to speak to you. It's going to enter into your life, into your heart, and into your mind. And I believe it's even going to begin to cut out to divide some things that are in you that should not be in you. There are wrong mindsets. There are parts of brokenness. There's cancerous parts of your thinking in your heart that God, like a good surgeon, is going to begin with a scalpel to come and cut out. And it might hurt a little bit, but it is for the benefit of the whole of your body and your future. Today, the living word is here to bring life to you. And we're going to find the truth that our generation needs in this story. So let's look at it from another perspective. Let's pray. Jesus, right now, we, we give you this next few moments. Will you come, Lord Jesus? Will you speak to us, Lord God? We know that you have exactly what we need. So we open our hearts to you. In Jesus' name, everyone said amen. 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 You know, I think what's found in this story is a couple different things. But, but what I think predominantly, it, it, it's the intersection of, of the tragedy of life and, and personal responsibility with God's incredible grace. All of these things are found in this story. Jesus doesn't shy away from the very difficult circumstances every person on planet earth is going to go through, and that's a part of life. But within that, he embeds these, these truths on how we can face the difficulties that are headed our way, not alone, but with God's incredible grace by our side. And, and I think what, what Jesus is saying in this story and placing in this story for us is a truth that has been relevant throughout all of the generations. And there's so many different ways that you can read this story. The beauty of the gospel is it's it really is like a lens that light shines through that as you turn the lens, you see the different prisms of colors. And you can read this story 10,000 times and get 10,000 real truths from it. But I think that one of the problems that this generation is facing is the struggle, the intense struggle in its mind. And so as I go to Scripture and I say, God, 
have you spoken to us about mental health? Have you spoken to us about the tragedy of life and, and how we're going to face it? I, I, I feel like he has, and, and he has through this, this unique story, the Good Samaritan. And I, I believe he's going he's gonna to speak to you today about the tragedy of life, your place and personal responsibility in it, and the fact that he's in the midst of all of it. So if you're struggling in your mind, I think you're in the right place. I think God has a, a word for you. And the word, though ancient, it's living, it's active, and he is going to speak to you today. Can you say amen? amen. And, and I know that there's, there's a weight of expectation today. You know, for this sermon, I, all week long, people have been saying, hey, we're excited about, you know, that series, you know. And, and I love expectation. It's one of our church values. I love it. I love it when, when people show up early. I love it when there's a vibe in the lobby. You know, last week everyone's starting to get nervous because the, the lobby was getting packed for Benjamin Watson. That's my favorite kind of church service. When the balcony is packed, when people don't know if, they, if they're allowed to start getting frustrated because they're at church, you know, like open the doors, let's get to worship. That's my, fine, that's my kind of expectation. I, I like it when people raise their hands. I like it when people sing, when they shout. I love hearing amen. I, I just personally, I love hearing Amen. I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm into the, the communal experience of, of church. I think there's nothing like it in all the world. I've been to lots of concerts and shows, but there's just nothing like a church filled with expectation. And I think that's one of the things that, that draws God close, is, is the cry of his people and the cry of their heart. And so I love expectation, but throughout this week, I've been hearing the expectation for this series, and, and I, I, I can't lie to you, it's actually been a heavy weight on me. I've been nervous about this expectation. What I normally love has been making me a little bit nervous because I, I, I understand the truth and the reality is there's a lot of expectation because there's a lot of brokenness. There's a lot of need. And, and so as I'm hearing the people saying, hey, this series, I'm, I'm feeling the weight of, of the, the weight and the magnitude of the need. And and I have to say this before I speak, is, is I'm, I'm not a doctor. I don't know if you could tell. <laughs> not a counselor. I'm not, not a psychologist. And, and, and more than that, I can't fix you. I can't fix you. But I do think that I can, I can begin to point you in the direction. I, I can't fix you, but I do know who's created you. I do know who's created you, designed you placed the things in you specifically for a reason. And, and even when you get broken, you've got to go back to the creator. You know, this week, my, my, uh, my wife had, had some people over to fix our, our new oven. We've got it, and it's just never worked. And so we've had person after person after person come. And, and this was the third time the company sent out some people. And, and these guys could fix the top burners, but they couldn't fix the bo bottom ones. And, and they just, they had nothing. And so guys say, you know, you're just going to have to have someone else be sent out. And it's like, you're the someone else that was sent out, you know. And the guy goes, well, we, don't know, we don't know what to do. And, and he looks at me, and I look at my wife, and we all look at her. and <laughs> Kind of looking for permission to just end this thing in a stalemate, you know. And, uh, and, and so she's like, what should we do? And we're like, what can we do, you know. And, and she's like, well, let me go get the manual. And all of us are like, come on, you know. She comes back with booklets, you know, just booklets. First off, who, who even keeps manuals, you know? That's the first thing you throw out. <laughs> she brought all these stacks of books, and, 
The guy opens it up, and after like 14 seconds of looking, oh, that's what you do. And he fixed it, you know. And it was just so simply there, you know. And, and, and it, it's just, it's such a great illustration of like, like I, I don't have the, the expertise to fix you, but I do know your creator, and he did leave a manual. And there's instructions. And it's amazing how many times I've seen a truly impossible situation be fixed in one verse, one story, one sermon, one prayer, one moment at the altar. And so today, collectively, we're going to look at the manual, and we're going to see what God has, has to say to us about us. And, and my goal today is to identify some of the patterns of pain that you're dealing with and to point you in the direction of the helper and the healer. So the story begins with Jesus answering the question, who's my neighbor? And, and, and he begins saying, a certain man, we don't know anything beyond this, he's just saying, someone. And, and the reason Jesus leaves this so vague is because you and I can put our name in there. A certain somebody, he's talking about you, was going down from, from Jerusalem to Jericho. Now, at that moment, everyone in the crowd, in the room, would know that path. This wasn't, this, this was the one way to go from Jerusalem to Jericho. It's called the Pass of Adomim, which means the, the way of blood or the red road. And when Jesus was speaking at this, uh, his location was right next door to where this path was. And it was, it was, it, it, it went from an elevation of, of an elevation drop of 3,000 feet. In other words, it was rocky and, and, it, and it was, was in ravines and there's sharp turns and it was very dangerous and it was known for its danger at this time, all the way through to present day. I, I looked it up online because I wanted to go there when I was in Israel, and it, and it said, no, travelers should not travel this path alone. And it's like, Jesus already told me that. <laughs> and when we were with our, our, our driver, whose, whose family has lived there for generations right over that ridge, uh, I was asking him if it was dangerous, you know, and, and, and he said, um, no, it's not dangerous at all. He said, I've, I've, walked it, I've, I've walked that path many times alone. You will need dogs, though. You will need your dogs. And I always had my gun. And I'm like, well, then it's dangerous. You need dogs and a gun? You know? <laughs> we have different definitions of danger, I think. Jesus begins speaking about a man that goes down a dangerous path. And can I say this? Life is a dangerous path. Life is a dangerous path. And, and, and as much wisdom as you have, and, and as good of a start as you have, the reality is you are going to face some things just on the path of life that are very, truly difficult, that are, that are dangerous. And, and some of you, it's, it's, it's in your upbringing. Some of you, it's in the jobs that you've worked. Some of you, it's just in things that you could have never even expected. But along the way of life, there's tragedy that befalls you. And, and I've always wondered does this person have a little bit of guilt, a little bit of culpability in this? You know, because when Jesus said a certain man was going down this road, everyone knew, all oh, that road, and he was going down alone. He's, going, he's walking down this path alone, and it was like, didn't you know better? You know, didn't, didn't, didn't you have it checked? You know, and I do believe the Holy Spirit will check you, but a lot of times people walk down the path of life for the very first time, and they don't even know what the danger is, where it is, how to be careful about it. Things happen to them before they almost even get started. They're eight, they're, they're 15, they're 20, and things happen to them on the path of life that they almost couldn't have even known. 
And, and when I'm, I was wondering what level of uh, blame or, 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 or self-responsibility this person should take for having taken this path, I've come to the realization that Jesus did not tell this story to assign blame to this person. He told this story to show that there's deliverance for this person. And so I, I want to say to you, even if it was your fault initially, you did go down the wrong path at the wrong time with no precautions and made foolish decisions, I believe that Jesus will come in, he'll rescue you, and he'll give you the Holy Spirit so the next time you start going down, there's a check. But make no mistake, Jesus' purpose in telling this story is not to blame, but to bring deliverance. And that's Jesus' purpose in your life. So as difficult as life is, and it is, and the tragedy that will befall you, and it will, the reality is Jesus does have a plan to bring deliverance in the midst of extreme difficulty. This man was walking down this dangerous path, and all of a sudden, he was ambushed by robbers. And you know, I, I, I think that the reality is, along the path of life, there are things that are going to happen to you and in you that are, that are a lot like an ambush. And, and there are circumstances that will come into your life that will come seemingly out of, out of nowhere. And, and they will begin to leave their mark on you. And, and for many of you, it will leave its mark for years and years to come. And, and, and it will leave its mark on the inside or on your psyche or on your emotion. And the reality is you were ambushed and you could never have known this was going to happen. Even if you knew the path was dangerous, you didn't know this was going to happen. You heard to be careful in that place or with them, or, but you could have never known that this was to the extent. Let me say it this way. You did not see this coming. If you did, you would have done everything in your power to avoid it. But the reality is there are things in life, circumstances, people, even sin, that is going to hide and ambush you. Jesus even said to Cain, be very careful because sin is crouching at your door and it's looking to ambush you. It's coming for you. It's coming to steal, to kill, and to destroy. It is not a game. It is something very real. And there are circumstances that you have faced in your life and that you will face in your life that it doesn't even matter how well prepared you are. It's an ambush. It came out of nowhere and began to tear you apart, body, mind, and soul. There are things that have been done to you. There are things that have, you have encountered that you should have never encountered that should have never been done to you, that was totally and completely morally and ethically, physically and lawfully wrong. But it happened nonetheless. And in moments like that, it's difficult to get back on your feet. It's difficult to think that you could ever be who you were before the ambush. And, and the enemy wants to begin to bring in a process of lies through this ambush because he doesn't want to just steal. He wants to kill. And he doesn't just want to kill, he wants to destroy. He doesn't want to just take from you, he wants to destroy your entire legacy. He wants to destroy your hope, he wants to destroy your faith, he wants to destroy your, your looking into the future, your excitement. He wants to never let you become the person you were before you took this path of life and got ambushed by circumstance. That's the plan of the enemy, and, and the reality is, you are going to walk into these ambushes in your life, and, and, and no one can, can um, 
No one can, can really stop them. And, and, and I, I, I think that it's amazing how quickly unexpected things can overpower us. And the reality is you can't escape until it's too late. Even if this person knew, <clears throat> this is a little bit dangerous, this is a little bit tough, but I'm good. I've walked this path a couple times before. The reality is sometimes there are things that are bigger than you. And they will overpower you. And when you think, now I'll just escape, like Samson. I'll break these chains and I'll escape because I've done it a million times before. The enemy is sly, he's dangerous, he's tricky, and out of nowhere there could be an ambush that leaves you half dead. And now you're unable to move, you're unable to help yourself. Interestingly, this person doesn't even cry out for help. The, re the, 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 the result of this ambush was that this person was stolen from, he was stripped of his clothes, which is humiliating, and he was left half dead. He was left half dead. And I think there's a lot of people in this church, and I think there's a lot of people in society whose body is fine, but their soul is dead. They're half dead. There's a lot of people that, that can go through the motions and be okay, but if you were to look into their past, you would see some ambushes that happened to them that they could not fight off because they did not have the strength to fight those things off, and it killed something within them. And, and, and it's difficult to see that side of people sometimes because it's the inner self more than the outer self that dies from the very difficult things that happen to us in life. It's, it's even worse because we try and hide it. And it's easy to hide, but what you hide never gets solved. C.S. Lewis, speaking about this, says the frequent attempt to conceal mental pain increases its burden. It's easier to say my tooth is aching than to say my heart is broken. There's, there's, there's something wrapped up in this ambush. You feel like I shouldn't have been there or I should have done something else or I should have stopped it. And now, not only were you hurt and were you broken, there's shame. It's interesting that the robbers, they didn't just steal. Why did they leave them half naked? Why did they have to humiliate this person in the process? Why did they have to bring shame onto this person in the process? And that is a lot of the, the tragedy of life is it's not enough for it to take something from you. A lot of times it leaves you so humiliated, you'll do anything to hide the fact that you're half dead now. And that just plays into the enemy's hands because he wants you to pretend you're all right when you're not all right. You're not. And, and if we went around the room and said, who here is okay? Am I okay? If anyone said yes, come preach. But I do believe Jesus is involved in this process. I do believe Jesus, his foremost role is a rescuer. And, and so I, I know life and sin and struggle and difficulty and, and things that were your fault and things that weren't your fault, they all happen to you. But I can't say that without letting you know how the story ends. There is someone on its way. There is someone with help. Because I think sometimes we only... We get trapped in the first part of the story. And maybe your hurt is resonating as I'm speaking and, and you're saying, this is me. And I don't, wanna, I, don't want to, I don't wanna leave you here without telling you this story ends with a rescue. Because I think sometimes people make, make life decisions right after an ambush. They make life decisions out of circumstances that happen to them not knowing there is a Samaritan walking towards you.
There is someone else on the way. There is help that's on the way. You know what's interesting is there's help on the way even though the man never cries out for help. Through this whole story, the man never does one thing. He doesn't move. He doesn't crawl to safety. He doesn't shout for help. You want to talk about deserving? This man could not move while you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Christ died for you. He doesn't shout for help, not even once. And I wonder why not. Why would he not shout for help? Was he unaware of the people walking by? Did he not have the strength? I I wonder why he didn't shout for help, but the reality is we never shout for help. Rarely do we shout for help. And and why do we not shout for help? You know, maybe for you it's it's shame. Maybe it's it's feelings of, of being unworthy of help. Maybe it's thinking, well, I should have been stronger. I should have been able to fight those circumstances off, those, those thoughts off, that, that, that person off, that thing off. And, and because I wasn't, now I feel ashamed. Therefore, I, I don't deserve. I don't deserve help. Maybe you feel unworthy of help, saying this thing happened to me, and it's so broken me that a broken person doesn't deserve the help of someone else, especially not the religious people that are walking by. Or maybe it's just out of self-preservation where you think, in order to get the help, I'm going to have to expose my weakness, and I would rather stay in this place unexposed than expose myself and get the help. But for whatever reason, this person didn't didn't yell help, and I, I wonder what the reason you have and I have for not yelling help. And I think the problem in the middle of this circumstance, and the problem that many of us face is the acceptance of the circumstance as our existence. We think this thing happened to me, now it is the life I'm gonna just have to live. And even worse, even worse than accepting it as our existence, sometimes we accept it as our identity. Not only did this thing happen to me, this is now who I am. Not only did this thing happen to me, I'm never gonna be able to get past it. I now have to live my life. I now have to filter my thoughts. I now have to walk my path. I now have to finish the rest of my existence through this ambush, this sin, this this act, this pain, this torture, this corruption, that that moment where something was stolen from me, that humiliation, that, that difficult circumstance now, if you're not careful, will become your identity. Where before you were someone, but then this happened and, and, and now, and a lot of times we think, well, what other people are telling you? I don't, I don't think it's that. I think a lot of times it's what we tell ourselves from what happened to us. We accept it. We accept it as our identity. And we buy into the lie of the enemy that says, this is you now. This is your life now. This is your place now. I'm telling you, it's a lie from the pit of hell. It's a lie. I, I want to declare over you today that your circumstances do not have to define your identity. Your circumstances do not have to define your future. Your circumstances do not have to define your existence. Your past does not have to define your future. What happened to you does not have to define you. What's been done to you does not devalue you. 
doesn't make you unworthy. Well, I had, I had something, but then they stole it from me. Your value never came from what you had. Your value comes from who you are. And who you are comes from who he is. Let me say this. You are not your worst moment. You are not your worst moment. You need to hear this. You are not, you are not the circumstance. You are not the pain. You're not the ambush. That's not who you are. That is something. It is real. It is tragic. But that isn't not who you are. We see in the middle of this difficult situation, religion shows up. You know, religion's reaction is it sees the pain. Because I do think that's one thing that religion is good for. It at least allows you to see where there is a problem and where there is a need. The Bible even talks about how the law is like a mirror, where you're able to look in the Ten Commandments and begin to see where you're deficient. The religion sees the problem, does not see the problem. The problem is I, I think it has no power to help the problem. And may, maybe it does. I, I, don't, I don't fully know. I can't see from this story, but I do know this. I see, I see that religion sees the problem, but then what does it do? What is its reaction? It avoids the problem. Which sounds a lot like religion to me. Religion is aware of the problem, but dead religion can't fix the problem, so it has to pretend you're not half dead and keep on trucking. Religion sees the problem, but then it, it avoids the difficult situation. You know what it says about the priest and the Levite? It says that they walked to the other side of the road. They walked to the other side of the road. My, my personal belief, because I've studied this area, is that, that this person wasn't just left on, the, on one side of the road. It's not like he just stepped over him. The, the, this whole area is on the side of the road where deep ravines. It would have been an action that these robbers threw this person down into a pit. And so by, the, Samar by the, the priest walking to the other side of the road, he would have been able to no longer see the need because it's too far down. That's why he moves to the other side of the road. Why? It's because of avoidance. And listen, before we judge religion, we got to know, look, you can be in the pit and be the Levite simultaneously. You can be having a, a, a problem that's left you half dead and then your judgmental, moralistic self-side walks up and can begin to judge. And I know we like to say, well, it's other people judging me, but come on, no one judges you more than you. It's you. The other side of you walks up and says, I can't deal with this part of me right now. I just can't handle this right now. I know it's a reality, but I am absolutely insufficient in how to fix it. So what I'm going to do instead is I'm going to cope. And what's one of our number one coping mechanisms with pain is avoidance. If I don't have to see it, I don't have to engage with it. If I don't have to look at it, I don't have to deal with it. So I can leave this down there. In fact, maybe I can bury it even deeper and I can keep walking on and living my life. And this is the action that a generation is taking in their mind. And what's so difficult is we're not just avoiding helping others, we're avoiding helping ourselves. And it's very difficult to avoid yourself. Isn't it? Wherever you go, there you are. That's the problem. And, and 
And this is the first reaction. And I think it's amazing that there's a physical action attached to the avoidance. He didn't just see and keep walking. No, he saw and had a choice. And he had a physical action that was attached to the avoidance. I wonder what your physical action is that's attached to your avoidance. Maybe it's not sin, but it's certainly not helping you find deliverance. What is it the thing? What is the thing that is keeping you from avoiding the real thing? You know, maybe it's just party. I could mean that in a lot of different ways, but it could just be maybe it's just people. You always got to be around a lot of people because the moment you're alone, you have to deal with yourself and you can't handle that. Maybe it's Netflix. Maybe it's just constant and mindless scrolling because as long as some small part of your mind is occupied, you don't have to deal with the other part of your life that just seems overwhelmed. Maybe it's insert your substance of choice, which you might say, well, I'm not addicted. Well, it's not a sin. Well, yeah, maybe not, but let me tell you, it's certainly not delivering you or healing you or saving you or helping you. It's just avoidance. And clouding your mind so that you don't have to exist in your mind is not why God designed your mind. He designed your mind to be sharp and to be powerful, to be exciting, to be adventurous, to make accomplishments, not to try and not think. That's not why God gave you the incredible power of thought. I can tell you want me to move on from that point. I'm saying move on, Pastor. I don't, I don't, know, what your, I don't know what your avoidance thing is, but, but you, you have to acknowledge it. You, you, have to, you have to find that pattern that keeps you in this cycle of pain. You know, maybe for you it's shopping. You know, maybe for you it's, it's, it's getting new shoes. I'm not talking to the ladies. Actually, I'm talking to the guys. <laughs> Maybe it's achieving and careerism and workaholic. And, you know, for all of us, I think we all know maybe it's your phone, primarily. Whatever it is, it's the choice, it's the physical action of avoidance that you've chosen. And I guess what my point is, When it comes to seeing yourself in that ditch or others, or others, you have to, you must take responsibility even when it's technically not yours. Even when it's technically not yours. Who's my neighbor, he asked, trying to justify himself. Because that's technically not my actual literal neighbor. He's trying to justify his way into inaction. Let me tell you, there's always a way you can justify inaction for yourself and for others. There's always a good excuse. Always. And your justification will sound good to nobody but yourself. And that's the only person you have to convince. I guess what I'm saying is do not allow the technicality to keep you from responsibility. Take responsibility even when it's technically not yours. You say, well, this wasn't my fault, this circumstance. I agree. But the only step towards deliverance is taking responsibility even if it's technically not yours. In the end, you... You don't have the luxury sometimes of assigning blame. The reality is, even if it's not your fault, even if it happened to you, you have to get healed. You got to get out of that place. You can't stay there forever, so you got to step in. You got to step towards. And maybe it's your family member and you say, well, it's not me. I only have time for me. This priest was either headed to Jerusalem or to Jericho. Jerusalem would have been where he's on his way to serve. If he was heading to Jericho, he was on his way from serving. 
It's amazing how this priest was actively serving God in the temple, yet missed the whole reason of his serving is for God's people. Even good things can keep you from the best thing. Even good things can keep you from the righteous thing. I don't have time to preach this. I I got so much here, but I want you to think about this. What is the thing, even if it's good, that's allowing you to technically not bear the weight and responsibility that God has placed in your life? Whether it's you, whether it's your father, your mother, whether it's your child, God has put them there and he says, do not walk on to the other side of the road. Because avoidance, it delays the pain, but it never, ever, ever brings deliverance. God's goal for you is deliverance. And then comes the Samaritan. And the Samaritan, the Bible says he saw him and he had compassion on him. He saw him and he had compassion on him. Here's, here's the key. Am I okay? We're starting to get to some of the solution here. He saw him and he had compassion on him. What happens here? He begins to focus on someone else. He focuses on another. And then the actions just begin to ramp up. What did he do? He went to him. He bound his wounds. He lifted him up. He put him on his own animal, and he walked beside this person. He, he, he changed places with this person, and he brought him to an inn. Here's what you need to know about the Samaritan. The Samaritan is our Savior. This is what Jesus does. Jesus goes to you. Jesus wraps and binds your wounds. Jesus gets into the, the muck and the dirt. But I've got good news. He doesn't just get there and stay there. He heals you there to lift you up out of there. And he doesn't just lift you back onto the road. That's not good enough for Jesus. He lifts you higher than you were before. Before it was just you alone. But now he's walking beside you and he puts you on his own horse, on his own animal. Why? Because God doesn't just want to save your life. He's going to restore your dignity. He's going to restore your dignity. He puts you into a place higher than you were before any of this even began. How beautiful of Jesus that he doesn't just see you as you were or as you are. He sees you as he made you and you should be. He says, I'm going to give you back everything that the enemy stolen, 30, 60, and 100 fold. Because that's who he is. He brings you into the fullness of joy not the taste of it, the fulfillment of healing, not just a little bit. He helps you discover your calling, your your purpose, your reason for being here. That's what Jesus does. And he does it completely on his own. What did this person do to deserve it? Nothing. What did he shout out? Nothing. What was his prayer? No prayer. It was completely the Good Samaritan. It's almost as if Jesus came knowing this person was going to be there in need of help. It's almost like the Samaritan left his place in heaven with everything that was going to be needed for someone that's in pain. Look, he brought the oil and he brought the wine. Why be carrying those two things unless there was going to be an antiseptic that was needed to clean out the germs, the oil that was going to be a balm so that the healing could begin. The wine is the blood. The oil is the spirit. Jesus brought everything that's going to be needed in the healing process. The Bible says he clothes you With righteousness, the enemy ripped off your righteousness. The enemy humiliated you and the circumstances left you half dead. But Jesus has life and life 
and more abundance. He clothes you again. He lifts you up. It's all Jesus. It's all Jesus. It's what he came to do for you. And you say, well, I don't deserve it. And that's a truth, but it doesn't matter. Well, I'm to blame. Maybe. But who, who cares? Where does Jesus say anything about that? Jesus is saying, you're in need, and I'm the one that's here to help. And I'm preaching long, but I knew I would. I got a lot to say. And I, I really, really pray that you find healing in this. And, and, and it begins a process of healing. Jesus came intentionally for you. He came not to be served, the Bible says, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many. And he doesn't end it there, you know. He puts him on, on his animal and he brings him to the inn, and the inn represents the church, the place of ongoing care, of ongoing care. And he says to the innkeeper, now whatever, whatever you need extra, I'm going to come back and I'm going to repay you. And that's a beautiful promise of Jesus' return. But I, I, I think... I think it's amazing. I pray that you find not just enough grace in church. I, I pray that you find extra grace in church. And I, I would even say this. I pray that you have enough grace for those in church that need a lot of healing. Not just minimal. I pray you have extra grace. Jesus said, here's more money than you need. And if, if you need even more than that, I've got enough for that as well. He brings people to the inn in between the church to find ongoing care and help. And then at the end of this story, what does Jesus say? And I'm going to end right here. I'll have the keys come up. At the end of the story, what does Jesus say? He says, he says, who helped? And the man said, it was the Samaritan. And here's Jesus' challenge. He says, okay, now go and do likewise. It's, it's so beautiful. It's the Great Commission, you know? It's like you could put that sentence right next to come follow me. Come follow me. And then go and do likewise. The reality is we have all been in that pit. And in some circumstance, we're all in that pit. And Jesus is constantly rescuing us from that pit. It's always it's who he is. But then once you are rescued, he has a challenge for you. And he says, now go and do likewise. I, I would propose to you today that, that part of the solution of am I okay Part of the solution is changing the question from am I okay to are you okay? Am I okay to are you okay? See, on a sermon on mental health, we think it's going to be all about us. But I would propose to you that part of the healing process is that it comes a point where it's not just about you anymore, where you must turn from inward to outward. And so Jesus says, now that you've been rescued, go and rescue. It turns from, am I okay, to can I help? Because you were called to make a difference. And, 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 and I believe you should help someone even if you still need help. Because we think, well, I'll help someone when I'm perfect. Well, then you're going to be in heaven, and nobody needs your help then. Help someone even if you still need help. It's like, it's like that religious person. Maybe he couldn't have taken that person out of the pit all on his own. But the Samaritan was coming. He could have gotten the thing started. And when Jesus shows up, it's like, thank God, I need your help, Jesus, with this person. 
Jesus wants to partner with you in the process. I, I just think, I think part of the problem with this generation, part of the problem with us is our obsessive focus on self. Our, in, our, our all-encompassing, complete consumption of self. And we're trying to get healed, trying to get bound out, up, trying to get delivered, but while we never, ever do anything for anyone else but ourselves. And I'm just trying to say maybe, just maybe, that's an incompatible thing. Maybe you can't find the fulfillment of joy and healing until you begin to, number one, be healed by Jesus, but number two, begin to act like Jesus. You, you know, like, I, I really feel like, I really feel like self is a downward spiral, you know? Because once this man realized he was in the pit and no one's coming to help, if he just kept saying, I just need to keep focusing on myself, I just need some self-help, I just need some self-work, look, it's not going to bring you out of this pit. The reality is, number one, you really, really, really deeply need Jesus. You need his word. And not just Jordan telling you his word. You need his word for yourself. You really need that instruction manual. You need his presence. You need the blood and the oil. You need it for yourself. You need this worship night. You really, really do. You need Jesus. But more than that, you really need to follow Jesus' instructions is to go and do likewise. And I think in the healing of others, Jesus begins to heal yourself. No longer are you obsessed with yourself. No longer do you take on your, the, the victim mentality and the, the, the mentality from that ambush, but all of a sudden you now change and now you're part of the rescue operation that Jesus has on planet Earth and it changes you. I, I, I wonder if, if God even walks you by problems on purpose. You know? Like, do you think it was a mistake that those religious people walked by that person at that time? I think God walked them by right then and there. And they saw that person, and now it's time to take responsibility and help, and help. I, I, I wonder, what if helping their pain end up, ends up bringing you healing? Helping their pain ends up you finding your purpose. You know, and I, I know our excuses. I'm imperfect. I'm not experienced. You know, I'm not experienced in that. I, I, I don't, I, hey, I didn't go through that, so I can't speak to that, you know. I didn't go through that, so I can't speak to that. Authority doesn't come from experience. Authority comes from God. Jesus, you know what to say right here and now. Give me the words to speak to this person. Jesus, you know this emotion. You know its cause. You know its source. Help me right now, Lord Jesus. Give me, give me the, right, the right action to do. Good Samaritan, good Samaritan is really Jesus, and then Jesus says, now, now go and, and be like me. And so, and so I think for us, you know, God wants to bring us out of the tragedy of life. He brings us into personal responsibility for ourselves and for others, and then he brings us into his incredible, unbelievable place. This is what Jesus did. Jesus was the one that, that was ambushed by robbers. Jesus is the one that was stripped naked. Jesus is the one that hung half dead on the cross. Jesus did all of that so that he could take your place and put you in his place. I truly believe the answer to am I okay begins to shift when you meet Jesus and then Jesus sends you out as his ambassador. And through this process, all of the sudden, things begin to shift on the inside. One week, one year, 10 years, God begins to change you from what happened to you to what you are actively doing to help others. Can you say amen?
Amen. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Awakening Podcast. We hope this message has encouraged you. If you want to learn more about our church, visit us online at awakening.global. We'll see you soon.